You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Welcome. It's great to have you here with us today. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you. If you're new, maybe you came for the uh, children's choir and uh, you're sticking around for the sermon. Thanks for doing that. Uh, But it's just great to have you here with us today. Uh, We're actually wrapping up saying goodbye to the, not forever, but just for this series to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we've been going all fall through a, uh, a book in the New Testament. We finish it up today, and then next week we'll be uh, doing Christmas, and then on the 24th as well, and then we have a new series starting in January. So this will wrap it up. We're going to do uh, chapter 5, the last half of the chapter, verses 12 through 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you, and you could open that up and turn to page 574. And uh, I would recommend you do that because we're going to go through a passage that is, uh, has a, it's dense, it's fast moving, it's a lot of short verses, um, but you'll be able to track it a lot easier. It's not a story, it's, uh, it's a list of verses. So you'll be able to follow with us a lot better if you're reading uh, with us because we're just going to go word by word almost through this, certainly idea through idea. So here we go, Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. This is God's word to us. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, as we go through this text today, we pray that you would speak to us in a text that is dense with a lot of detail and a ton of commands. We pray that you would show us the Savior and that you would give us grace and fresh eyes to walk before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My wife and I, she's down front here, my wife and I have very, very different approaches uh, to grocery shopping. Uh, and, And this is how I'd summarize it. 
she grocery shops, and I don't. So that would be the fundamental uh, difference between us. And uh, when, when shopping, if, if, uh, if, if I do on the rare occasion I do, if you were to compare grocery lists, you would see that they are very different. My wife can organize a grocery list with every detail that tracks sequentially aisle to aisle because she's so familiar and knows where every single item is. As a matter of fact, uh, she's likely the best in the room at this because back when we lived in California, she was on a game show uh, called a Supermarket Sweep where the entire, she was a contestant where the entire goal is to know where to go in a store. So if you think you're good at grocery, knowing where things are, she can kick your rump roast. Let me just let you know. So anyway, so she can have a very sequential aisle. Mine, on the other hand, would be a clueless person walking in with about six things on a list. It's like walking, uh, can you like point me to produce? <laughs> it's like that half of the store over there. Oh, okay, that's it. Okay, got it. So I've got my random list where things are not connected aisle by aisle. And, you know, uh, I, I, it's just spread out. So I'm going from aisle one to aisle 14, back to aisle three, back up, because my list is scattered and it lacks coherence and logical flow. If we look at the collection of commands that we just read, and we just read them on the surface, they look a lot more like my grocery list than my wife's. They appear pretty random. Some of you checked out about four verses in, honestly, because we were just going with a bunch of random ideas. There's not an apparent logical pattern or central theme or single big idea in the passage that we just read, it appears. And that's a statement about us and not about God. We like things to be sort of in buckets where everything just sort of fits together in a way uh, and where we can kind of draw out three ideas that all begin with P. And that's just not how the Scripture always is. Sometimes the Scripture gives us a list of responsibilities. And in this passage, though, as we look at it, there is some connection between them. Uh, Though it doesn't appear on the surface, there really is. But sometimes there's a list of responsibilities, and this is one of those lists that we find in the scripture. And we'll see that as we look and make some connections with the ideas, that will be helpful. But I want us to zoom out today. I want us to zoom out and get a broader application from the entire, well, what was it, 16 verses that we read. I want to look at each verse, but I want us to step back and look at the forest and not, not just concentrate on the individual trees within the forest. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the trees, and then we're going to step back and say, what do we see in the whole forest that we could apply as this letter finishes? And it really finishes, we're going to see, with a bang. I'm not saying the sermon will finish with a bang, but the text most certainly does. Uh, The overall context of what Paul is talking about here, so if there's one big idea uh, for most of these verses, I think it has to do with living in community. So let's look at the trees. We're going to look at each tree, examine some bark, move to the next tree, uh, look at, you know, look at the bottom of that tree and up at its branches for a minute, then move to the next tree, then step back and look at the forest. So here are the trees. The first thing he talks about is leaders in the community. 
It's talking about the community, leaders in the community. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So he's talking about leaders in the church, likely referring to elders and pastors, the same thing. And he is communicating about leaders, that he's communicating about this church, this new church's response to their leaders. Uh, So the first thing he does is he tells us three things that leaders do uh, in the church. Verse 12, respect those who labor among you. He tells us that the leaders are working in their midst. The word labor is a word he uses elsewhere to mean hard work. He uses it to describe farmhands. He uses it to describe his tent making. And then when he writes to Timothy, he uses the same word to to describe uh, elders who are to be giving themselves to the labor of preaching and teaching. So the first thing he says is, uh, these people are working among you. The second thing he says is that they are over you. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord over you in the Lord. The NIV translates this, who care for you in the Lord. The word can go either way. There's a number of words in this passage that can be translated one way or the other, but probably both is true, right? The reason they are uh, have a position of responsibility is because they care, and that position of responsibility is always tied to care. They are caring for you, and they are over the church as they care for the church. The two go together. Thirdly, he says they admonish you. They are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Admonish is a word that means to warn people, to warn someone about going the wrong direction. So admonishing someone means to point out to them that they are going in a direction, that this, this road, you know, it, 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 it's a dead end or it's treacherous or whatever it is. It's a warning about a certain direction. Uh, It's not a harsh warning. It's not a condescending warning. Uh, It is a one Christian to another, one sheep to another. It is a brotherly warning, we could say. One person said, while the tone of admonishment is brotherly, it is big brotherly. So it's big brother coming alongside one another and saying, hey, this is a dangerous road. Don't go down it. So this is what the leaders do. He says, they labor among you. They're over you. They admonish you. And then how is he telling the Thessalonians to respond to their leaders? I love the way John Stott, the commentator, describes this. He says, what attitude should the local congregation, based on this passage, what attitude should the local congregation adopt towards its pastors? They are neither to despise them as if they were dispensable, nor to flatter or fawn on them as if they were popes or princes, but rather to respect them and hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. This combination of appreciation and affection will enable pastors and people to live with peace, in peace with each other. And that's where he closes that verse, verse uh, 13, live at peace among yourselves. So if the people are loving their leaders, if the leaders are loving and respecting, uh, honoring and caring for the church, Uh, members, then people live in peace. And that is what he is saying here. Thank you for the way, by the way, we, I I just, we feel this as leaders here. We feel your support, love, encouragement. 
Uh, so thank you so much. So the first thing he's talking about is leaders in the community and giving a few things about them. Next, he talks about fellowship in the community. So he's not talking about leaders here now. Verse 14, we urge you brothers, that's an inclusive term that means brothers and sisters, we urge all of you to admonish, there's the word again, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So now he's going to talk about how the people in the church are to relate together. First of all, he says, admonish the idle. Remember, that's a warning uh, about heading in a wrong direction. Now, here's a word that can be translated different ways. Some translations translated it unruly. Warn the idle, I'm sorry, admonish the idle or admonish the unruly. The NIV doesn't even pick. It just gives both. The NIV says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. That's probably what's in view here. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. We saw earlier in going through Thessalonians that some of these people were expecting the Lord to come back every, any day, so they weren't working. And they were just like mooching off other people in the church. And so he's saying to them here, uh, these weren't people with legitimate needs. These are people who are just choosing not to work. And he said, you know, these were idle people. So probably that's some of what's going on. Admonish, tell people that are not, that are idle and thus becoming disruptive, busybodies in the church is what he said in another, in the second Thessalonians. Warn them about that. Tell them this is not a healthy direction. This is not a good path to go down. So everyone in the church admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, he says. So others in the congregation need ministry, but they don't need the ministry of admonition. They need the ministry of encouragement, not because they're idle, but because they're faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted means to be little-souled or to have a little soul. It means to be weak in spirit, perhaps discouraged, burdened, maybe depressed. Those who are burdened and depressed, encourage them, he says. Impart courage to them. It's understandable that people in this church would feel this way because they were experiencing resistance and pushback and even some persecution for their faith, we know, from the book of Acts. So it would make sense that they are burdened and discouraged, some depressed. And he's saying to them, encourage, impart courage to those Thirdly, help the weak. There are other people in the church, they don't need admonition and they don't need encouragement. What would really help them is practical help. Help them. Come alongside them. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore weak people in the church, but come alongside and and help them. And then fourthly, he says, be patient with them all. So whether they're idle, whether they are uh, discouraged, faint-hearted, whether they are weak, show patience with all of them, as God has shown patience to us, ultimately. So you see, he's just going down this list of now, how do we react to one another? How do we respond to one another? How do we respond to our leaders? Uh, All this, he's just giving us guidelines for community in the church. Verse 15, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. So be patient with everyone. Don't seek revenge with anyone, uh, from anyone, uh, but do good to all people. So the leaders in the community, the fellowship of the community. Now verses 16 to 18, I don't know how it necessarily relates with the community. It seems to be relating to God. And this is where the grocery list appears a little bit. How does 
does aisle three connect to aisle four? Uh, as I look at it, it seems like verses 16 and 18 are relating to God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So he's closing out the letter now, and he's telling them rejoice always, which doesn't mean be happy always or have the emotion of happiness at all times. Rejoicing means to have an expression of joy rather than an internal feeling of joy. And so we can always rejoice even when we perhaps on the inside feel discouraged. We can always rejoice because outside of us, there is something good. Outside of us, God is good and working on our behalf, and our joy is tied to what God is doing outside of us, what he's ultimately done in Christ, what he will do in returning for us, and there is a joy based on the objective work of God for us. And so we can rejoice, as we did this morning, even if our hearts are heavy. Rejoice always, he says. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Or uh, in this translation, it says, well, yeah, it does say pray without ceasing in, in the ESV. Pray without ceasing. Uh, does this mean every moment I am to be praying? That would be an impossible command. But it, likely what he's talking about is pray at all times. He's saying there's not a set time of prayer. It's not that you can just pray in the morning and at noon and at night. He's not just a set time, but you pray at all things. He's inviting people, or call, more than inviting, calling us, commanding us, actually, to an ongoing communication with God, that our life is to be filled with communication with God, that we're to live before the face of God, aware of God, aware that the Spirit is in us, that God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and he's saying that we are to, in an ongoing way, be talking to God. And this must have been so encouraging for these new Christians who are experiencing persecution and difficulty to know that God is listening always to them. Pray at all times without, <coughs> without ceasing. He's calling them to live in dependent trust. If you're praying without ceasing, that's different than get your act together and have no needs. No, that's live in dependent trust, in, in space, dependent trust. Not independent, but in uh, through dependent trust is what he is saying. Uh, verse 18, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Whatever's going on in our lives, we can thank the Lord even during difficult times, knowing that he is at work in us. And then he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God? Probably all three of those. Probably when he says this is the will of God, he means rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Some Christians are always wondering, struggling, even, even uh, you know, tormented by what's God's will? Am I doing God's will? What's God's will? Uh, well, in a very objective way, we know God's will here. I didn't know about this decision and that decision in your life, but I do know that this is, it says this is God's will to rejoice, uh, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. And then he closes out this section, this list of commands with commands that have to do with gathering in the community. So the leaders of the community, the fellowship of community, some verses about relating to God, and then the gathered community, verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything 
Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So when they gather to worship, the role, the presence, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are very important. And he is commanding them not to resist the Spirit or to resist his gifts, and in particular, the gift of prophecy is what he says here. Prophecies are spontaneous messages that God brings to mind for someone to share with the community so that it builds the church up and encourages and edifies the church. They're not equal with Scripture at all. They're to be judged by Scripture, but they are something that the Lord brings to mind, puts on someone's heart, that, the Lord, that, that speaks to the entire church and is evaluated by the Scripture. So he's saying, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out, don't extinguish the fire of the Spirit Uh, That would be one option. We're nervous about prophecies. This could go bad, so we'll just shut it all down. He says, don't do that. Don't extinguish it. Rather, do this. Test everything. Hold on to what's good and abstain from every form of evil. So he says, don't restrain prophecies. Test them according to Scripture and receive what is sound. You're to listen to the Spirit together as a community. So there's verses 12 through 22, this list, these trees, we've looked at them a little bit, this rapid fire list of commands. These are some of the shortest verses. They are the shortest verses in the, you know, in the whole letter. Uh, Verse 16, rejoice always. That's a verse. Pray without ceasing. That's a verse. Give thanks in all circumstances. Very, they are, you know, just punctuated, quick, rapid fire commands that he's leaving. It's like the letter's almost over. Okay, let me tell you all these things. And he's leaving them with these various things. And really, we could have taken any one of those and made an entire uh, message out of it. So there are the trees, the responsibilities. From there, he goes into prayer. And he says, based on all of these responsibilities, let's pray. That's what he says. Verse 23, now... May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I call this this prayer, verses 23 through 24, the forest, because we're now going to zoom out from the trees, the individual commands, and here's what Paul does. He turns to God, and he asks God to do all the stuff he just told the Thessalonians to do. Everything he just told them to do, which they're responsible to do, he now asks God to do in them and to do through them. That is the big picture of it all. If we step back, we see they're dependent on God to do everything God has just called them to do, and he's going to make that clear by asking God to do that. Verse 23, may the God of peace himself, may God sanctify you completely. The word sanctify means to make holy. It means to make us like Jesus, to conform us to his image. Sanctify means to to make us increasingly more and more like Jesus. He asked God to do a complete transforming work in them. This is his prayer. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's asking, may this happen. May the Lord do this. May God 
completely take all of their being, their inner being and their outer being, their, their mind, their spirit, their soul, their body, their inner being and their outer being, and hold them, transform them, and hold them blameless at the return of Jesus. This is how the letter works. Now that we've studied the whole letter over months, we can step back, and if you'll remember, the letter started with him telling them that God chose you. And we know God chose you because when we came and brought the gospel, you received it, and there was the power of God present. So God chose you. This is all the work of God. And then you received the gift of salvation. And then he goes into the section reviewing. Here's what it was like, and everybody's talking about your testimony, and you left idols, and you're following the Lord, and here's what that looks like in your daily life now. Here's what it looks like in your work life. Here's what it looks like in your sex life. Here's what it looks like in, every, in your community life. He walks through all of these areas and says, this is what it's like to know the Lord, and then he closes with these rapid-fire commands, and then he steps back and says, God's got to do all this. God started it. You're responsible to continue to walk with him now, but you got to have God the Spirit to make you holy. You cannot do everything from chapters 1 through the uh, first part of chapter 5. You cannot do all of this on your own. May God make you holy. May God make you like Jesus. May God give you the power to obey him. It starts with grace. There's some commands in between, which all are about grace as well, even though they're their responsibility, and it closes with grace. It is a very much a grace sandwich. This is what God does. This is what you must have your eyes upon him. He's closing the letter to them saying, look, you are dependent on the Lord. Look to the Lord. This is the big picture. I love the statement of Augustine, who was an early church uh, leader and uh, scholar, and he said this, O Lord, command what you will and give what you command. That's the Christian life. Lord, command what you will, tell me what to do, and give what you command. Enable me to do it. That is like the heartbeat of walking with the Lord. Lord, what is it you're calling me to? What does the scripture say? How can I please you? How can I honor you? How can I glorify you? How can I love my neighbor? How can I serve others? What am I called to do in every area of my life? Now empower me to do that. It's both. Do you see? It is looking to the Lord. So we could go back to every command that we just read. Look, having read verses 23 and 24, how he closes the book, we could go back to all those commands and read them in a little bit different, perhaps a fresher way. Lord, would you give me the courage to admonish the idol? Lord, would you give me the heart to respect my leaders. Lord, would you empower me by the Holy Spirit, even when I feel depleted, to come alongside and encourage the faint-hearted? Lord, would you help me to do that? God, I need your power to give thanks in all things, because I want to give grumbling and complaint in all things today. Lord, would you sanctify me? Would you make me holy? May, would you do that? Would the God of peace sanctify me and help me to pray without ceasing? God, would you open my eyes so that I don't quench the Spirit, but I listen to you? God, would you do that in me? Lord, by your Holy Spirit, may the fruit of joy come in my heart that I see clearly what you've done and I rejoice 
always, God, would you do that? Because that's what Jesus looks like, and you're making me like him. This is the big picture. This is the overarching way that sanctification works. It is by the grace of God. And so this is the forest. We look at individual trees, but you can get lost in the trees. What am I supposed to do? This is overwhelming. But when you zoom out and see God initiated the work, God continues the work, God will complete the work at the day of Christ Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the scripture says. He begins the story, he writes the story, he will finish the story, you're just in his story. This is the the big picture that we must live with. God doesn't call the Thessalonians or call us to some kind of bare naked obedience. It is a dependent, empowered obedience, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not gritting our teeth and making it happen on our own. We can only obey God with the power of God, and that's why he says, may God sanctify you. May God make you like Jesus more and more. Don't miss the forest for the trees. The trees are beautiful, glorious, holy in this case. They are our individual responsibilities that we are each called to as disciples. They're the way that we tangibly honor God and love our neighbor, but we don't want to miss the big picture of God at work in us and through us, changing us individually in all aspects of our life and in our life together as a community. So when you read the commands of Scripture, be clear, we are responsible But God is responsible too, and God is more responsible, and God is more faithful, and that is the good news. One of my favorite verses in the whole book comes next, or we just read it, it's verse 24. This is, of everything we've studied this fall, this is the big takeaway. They're worried about the return of Christ, some are checking out, they've got all these questions uh, for Paul, but this is the big takeaway takeaway in verse 24. He who calls you with faithful, he will surely do it. This is the good news. This is really the takeaway of the whole Bible. God is faithful. He will surely do it. He writes this band of new believers who are experiencing problems, experiencing, some of them are experiencing grief. He has to address what happens when people die who are Christians before Christ returns because they don't know what happens to them. So they've had some people die in their church, and they're grieving. So to a grieving church, a church that has members we know that have been arrested, from Acts 17, we read that. So there's been arrests, there's persecution, they're out of line, they're not living like their culture lives, they're swimming upstream. There are all these challenges in the church, and to this band of believers, he wants them to know, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. To a church learning how to follow the Lord together, how to grow in relating to God and God's family. To disciples that are called to live a radical lifestyle of love, an impossible lifestyle of love. He tells them, God is faithful. He will surely do it. The one who called you will stick with you till the end and then into eternity. He leaves us with this same message that he leaves them. This should be what's the strongest uh, verse in our ears as we leave the book, is that the one who called us is faithful. 
One author wrote, with this last line, Paul reminds them that in the overall scheme of things, the end of the story has less to do with their own efforts and more to do with God's faithfulness to them. Yes, they need to do their part, as Paul has made abundantly clear in the instructions he gave them in chapters 4 and 5. But God is faithful, Paul declares, and in the end, everything depends on his faithfulness to them. This is it. This perspective changes everything. In the overall scheme of things, in the overall scheme of what's happening in the course of history, in the course of this planet, in the course of your life, and in the course of your eternity, in the overall scheme of things, he says, it has less to do with their own efforts and more to do with God's faithfulness. Can we thank God for that reality? Because if it had to do with my faithfulness day in and day out, if that is my great hope, if my great security is on my performance and my production measured against the holiness of God, I'm in a heap of trouble. But if it's based on God's faithfulness, that is good news. We live our Christian life with this fundamental security that God is for us, God is with us, and the God who called us is faithful. He will surely do it. I read a story. This is unusual because um, if you've never read commentaries, a commentary, I use that phrase some, I never define it. A commentary is a book written by uh, a scholar. Commentaries are written, they're uh, written by people that have expertise in the original languages, expertise in theology, Bible, uh, sometimes history, archaeology, all kinds of uh, areas of expertise, um, literature, interpretation, all kinds of things. They bring all kinds of skills and training and then have the ability to write a book that just sort of helps you understand uh, the book you're studying. So if you have a study Bible, those little notes, that's a commentary. Uh, If you have a bigger book that's written about a book of the Bible, that is a commentary on that book. So normally in commentaries, people just write, sometimes they're very dry, uh, sometimes they're very engaging, but you don't read personal stories. They're not like sermons or journals or devotionals. They're more like, here's some scholarship that'll help you understand the book. That's typically what they are. So I was surprised to read in a commentary this week, uh, a, a scholar share a personal story as he wrote about the passage we just read. So he's writing about the details, given language and linguistics, and this word means that, about all this stuff that we just read. But when he gets to this, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He writes the following story. I know a young pastor and his wife who recently experienced the tragedy of losing a child. They're hanging on, but they're also wondering where God is and if God even cares about them. The father and I met to talk. I mostly listened. I wasn't sure what to say to him. He asked some good questions to which there are no easy answers. At one point, he wondered where to go next. He wasn't, quote, moving forward with God, unquote, but he wasn't sure how to continue. It was at this point I asked him, are are you going to give up on God? Here is his response. When depression and grief aren't speaking, I find a place where God and hope still exist, a place that holds promise of answered prayers, of a loving God, 
and of eternal life. That place is difficult and at times impossible to see. And yet deep in my soul, I know it is there. Regardless of how long or difficult the road has been, I cannot believe God hasn't been there. I cannot give up on God because deep down, I know he hasn't given up on me. That is a powerful, compelling, real-life story of how this verse works itself out. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The commentator goes on to write after quoting this man. It's not unusual to end up in situations when everything around us seems wrong. It's also not unusual to question and be confused. But at these times, we need to be reminded that God is faithful. This is where the role of community is so important. When we see those around us struggling, perhaps stumbling, we need to come alongside them to help remind them that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you have that voice in your life? Do you have the person in your life that comes alongside you and reminds you that God is faithful and he will surely do it? The more important question is, are you that voice to someone? Who is it that you see stumbling in the community that is faint-hearted and needs encouragement, that is weak and needs help, that is troubled and needs patience? Be patient with them all. We all need to hear that. This is why community is so important. And this is why you will not, categorically will not grow in the Christian life, to be the disciple God has called you to be alone. You cannot. You are never designed to be just you and Jesus. You are designed to be with his people. Do you realize that when this book was written, if you weren't in a church, you didn't even have the New Testament? That's why at the end he says, I put you under oath, verse 27, before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. You didn't even hear the word of God if you didn't come. You didn't even hear the word. This was only read. Everybody didn't have this as an app on their phone. But it was meant to be lived out together. The final word to them, he says, after he says, may God sanctify you, verse 25, pray for us. Greet everybody with a holy kiss. Uh, that was in a cultural expression. I mean, you know, feel free. I, I get, I, we fist bump more often. At, at cold season and flu season, I'm going to fist bump you. Uh, don't kiss me. Uh, verse 27, I put you under oath. So read this to everybody. And then this is where he closes. Verse 26, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus. God's grace be with you. That's the final word. God has laid before all of us as disciples, just the, the list I read through just this morning, just this passage, he's laid out this list, this, this lifestyle, these responsibilities, these opportunities before all of us. And he's given us, uh, as disciples following him, he's given us a call that is so lofty, 
so holy, so wonderful, so uh, counter-cultural and counter-intuitive that if we really grasped what God has called us to as Christians, we'd be overwhelmed. If we really grasped it, we'd be overwhelmed, the list of commands here. But at the same time, he provides grace and power that is so great, so amazing, so miraculous, so otherworldly, that if we really grasped his power to enable us to do what he's called us to do, we'd throw ourselves into his purposes. If we just look at his purposes alone, we'll be overwhelmed and quit and give up. But if we look at his power by the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, the last word, God's grace be with you. There's nothing more powerful than God's grace. If we see our calling in life and we see his grace and his power to forgive us where we fail and to empower us day after day to grow incrementally in Christ, we would fling ourselves into his purposes. If we saw the power of the Spirit, we saw his help, we saw that as we pray, he's ready to answer. That as we ask, he's already there. If we saw how he will coordinate things in our life for his glory, even our own sufferings, it would change everything. God calls us to live beyond ourselves. My time is up. He calls us to live beyond ourselves. So I'm going to ask you, my time really is up actually, but I, I want to I ask you today, who is it, who is it that God is calling you to reach that just seems beyond you? What is God calling you to that just seems overwhelming today? That on your own you think, I know that would honor the Lord. I know that would please others, but I can't. What is that area? If the Lord put his finger on a primary area, this is what I want you to do. What is the area that we just say, that's beyond me, Lord. That's impossible. That's the area the Lord wants to bring to you, wants you to bring to him rather, and say, may the God of peace sanctify me completely. My whole spirit, soul, and body keep me blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You who called me, Lord, is faithful. You will surely do it. So it moves from what is the thing God's calling me to do that I can't do to the thing that God's calling me to do that I can't do that I say, God, you got to change my heart to do this. I'm dependent on you. I'm not leaving it. I'm not skipping it. I'm not going to be discouraged by it. I'm not going to quit and give up on it. I'm going to lift it up to you and say, Lord, change me. Lord, empower me. Lord, enable me. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Let's pray for God's grace to enable us to do what he's calling us to do because the one who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.